Um, it keeps cutting out on, on one side, Brother Thurman. I don't know if that's just, if it's weak on one side or what it is, but it's been going on for a couple of weeks. If you could check that for me, please, Brother. Okay, thank you. All right, Romans chapter 2 through chapter 3 and verse 20. We began this morning, and I told the church this morning I want to let get everybody in here and kind of give you a taste, everybody get a taste of what we're going through in the Word of God um, to show us how much we need Him. We need Him. Every one of us need Him. Something you can't do, and that's save yourself. You can't save yourself in a sense that without Jesus Christ. You, you can save yourself if you obey the gospel, but you can't do it without Him. So chapter 2, we come into the book of Romans. Great book on the gospel. And the Apostle Paul is, before he gets into the depths of the gospel, he is dealing with the condition of man. There you go, brother. I don't know what you did, but you fixed it. <laughs> Amen. He's dealing with the condition of man, so he, he's going to show you the bad news first. And uh, after he does that, then he gets into the good news in depth. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord, brother. Thurman. Like you just gave me supercharge there. But it went back out again. So I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's what it does. It floats in and out. First chapter deals with the condition of man without the Word of God. All he has is the revelation, natural revelation of creation. And then he has the inward knowledge by way of a conscience that there is a God. And the Lord proved in the first chapter through the Apostle Paul that man that didn't have the Word of God, that had the natural creation and his conscience, did not live up to that even. So that man without the Word of God is condemned before God in need of a Savior. Then in chapter 2, we come to a different kind of a man, and that is the religious man, particularly the Jewish man. Okay? And he is religious, but Paul is going to show that even a religious man needs the gospel just like the Gentile does, okay? So if you will look, please. In verse 11, God says, For there is no respect of persons with God. He is impartial. For as many as have sinned without law, that's the Gentiles, shall also perish without law, that's the Gentiles. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Okay? Amen? Who show the works of the law 
right? Written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God. Amen. And I'll stop there. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. Quicken and inspire it in and through me tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Okay, a little adjustment here this uh, in this message. This morning I said that Paul was in Corinth around 54 A.D. He wrote 54 A.D. from Corinth, the book of Romans. He wrote to a church he had never been to before while he was in Corinth. I need to adjust that date. It's not 54, it's 57. Okay, 57 A.D. So the Apostle Paul has been ministering in the Mediterranean for about 25 years. At this point, as I said, he's in the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth was the most sinful city in the Roman Empire. So that everything that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 1 beginning with verse 18, all the various kinds of sin that men would commit, okay, he would see that in the city of Corinth. In fact, if you were caught up in these kinds of sins that were re recorded, you would literally be said to be Corinthianized. That you are a person who is living like a Corinthian. Okay? We've already covered that last Sunday. I won't recover that tonight. But he would also at the same time as he saw the Gentiles and the pagans caught up in all kinds of sin, murder and homosexuality and all the various things that we talked about in the previous chapter. He would also look up and he would see a Jew in Corinth with Torah under his arm walking down the streets. And obviously that Jew with Torah under his arm would think that he was better than those old pagan Gentiles that were living in sin. The problem with the Jew is, as he was judging the pagan Gentiles, he was practicing the same thing. He was doing some of the same sins. And so even though he had a knowledge of God and had the Word of God, unlike the Gentiles, which did not, they had natural revelation, he would claim a special place with God just by reason of the fact that he was a Jew. That was it. And because he knew, had a knowledge of the Bible, he thought, well, I'm a Jew. God has chosen me. I'm His special people. And I know the Bible, so that makes me right with God. God has entered the covenants with the Jewish people, so... I'm right with God. And the way he looked at that, he says he's a special person with God and he could keep doing the sins and practicing the sins of the world. But just because he was a Jew, he would be immune from the judgment. And so God, by His writing here, is showing 
that this rich, rich religious man, this self-righteous man, the Jew, who's not obeying the law of God, even though he knows it, he's not living it, by his very lifestyle, he is breaking the covenant that he claims to be a part of. And so God shows in this chapter and on through chapter 3, verse 20, the need for every man, whether you be a pagan Gentile caught up in all kinds of sin, or if you be a Jewish man, a religious man, everybody needs the gospel and nobody can be saved without Jesus Christ. Okay? Now that has practical application for us. As I was thinking about it this afternoon, how many people today go to church, they carry their Bibles through the front door of the church, sit down on their pews, and they have been going to church for years and years and years and claim to be in covenant with God, claim to know the Word of God, in fact, read the Bible, go to church, are religious, but they have never, ever been born again. Never been born again. They may go to church and sit on those church pews and, and, and claim that they have been born again, claim that they have the Holy Ghost, claim that they speak in tongues, but really they're not. How many people today in even the mega churches, churches that may have a few all the way to the thousands, are sitting in those churches tonight and they are absolutely totally lost. They go to church. They read their Bibles. They live a decent life for the most part. But they have never been born again. Therefore, according to the Word of God, just like the religious Jewish man that would go to the synagogue, read his Torah, but live like the rest of the world in sin, that man is lost. The good news being that the Gospel of Jesus Christ has come to save everybody and that everybody needs that gospel without exception. Whether you be a Gentile in the nation or you be a Jew in Israel tonight, everybody needs this gospel message. Without it, nobody can be saved. You cannot be saved without the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he begins to talk about that Jewish man. The Apostle Paul would have seen him many, many times in the streets of Corinth walking around. And he had looked as the first few verses talk about He'd look at these these Gentile pagans and with his nose lifted up, self-righteousness, and condemn them as dogs and as fuel for fire for the fires of hell. Not able to be saved if they wanted to. Then he would look at himself and he would say, I'm a Jew, and no matter how I live. If I were to go to the gates of hell, I would be turned away from the gates of hell. I could not go to hell because I'm a Jew. That's the way they looked at it. They looked at themselves as the very special people of God. They looked at themselves in such a way, according to the Apocryphal Book of Wisdom, number 15, they said that they could sin and still be in relationship with God. They looked at themselves as a people that were immune from judgment just because 
they were Jewish. And that was it. Didn't need Jesus Christ, they thought. Didn't need to be saved, but they're just Jewish and that should be good enough. So Paul comes along and he condemns that self-righteous religious Jew. And in doing that, he condemns all self-righteous religious people of any kind who thinks that by their good works that they measure up to go to heaven, that as long as their good outweighs their bad, they're going to go. And there's a lot of people today that have that idea. As long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm going to make it to heaven. But that's not the way God looks at it. And so he begins to deal with the way that God judges. And he talks about, first of all, he judges based on knowledge, verse 1. Verse 2, he bases his judgment based on truth. He bases his judgment, verse 5, on the guiltiness of the person. Verse 6 through 10, he bases his judgment on deeds. I'll read that. Who will render every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Paul is saying, if you want eternal life, if you want a resurrection body, and I broke it down for him this morning, that means that you must seek to live a life that is pure doctrinally and pure in lifestyle. Nobody is going to get immortality or a resurrection body who is not pure doctrinally and in their life. It doesn't matter what denomination you're a part of. It doesn't matter what church you go to. According to Paul, those that will receive immortality are people, when you break down the verse, that live a pure life doctrinally and in holiness before God. Verse 7, to them who by patient continuance, not just starting the race, but continuing in the race, In what? Well-doing. Seek for glory and honor and immortality. Eternal life. But unto them that are contentious. And I defined that word today. Gave you the definition. That means somebody that spins like somebody spinning wool. They spin in trickery for the applause of men. And it literally means that they are disobeying the Word of God and they're, they're um, an obstacle to the Word of God. They don't obey the Word of God, so they spin everything. Everything is spun. And they trick themselves and try to trick other people so that they can get the approval or the applause of other people. But God is saying... You're contending with God. You're fighting against God Himself. And He says, if you're that kind of person, if you're a disobedient person, you don't obey the Word of God, even though you know the Word of God, knowing the Word of God is not equal to doing the Word of God. And therefore, all you do if you're not obeying God is you're just spinning tricks. And you're contending against God Himself. And He said, that kind of person will not have peace. But unto them that are contentious, they're spinners, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. God says this is what's coming. Indignation and wrath. 
Those are strong, severe terms. Indignation and wrath. This is God's searing wrath, His judgment against sin. Now, the context is talking about a religious man. So God is showing you, not only is the pagan Gentile who's caught up in all kinds of sins in the wrath of God, but the religious man is in the wrath of God. Deep in the wrath of God. Because it's man's way, his way to be right with God, his religion. Is everybody with me on this? Okay? That puts you deep in the wrath of God. The more religious you are, the deeper into the wrath of God you are. Because you don't recognize, as this Jew would not recognize, you don't recognize your need. If you're religious, you never recognize your need. And as a result of that, you go deeper into the wrath of God because you exchange the truth for a lie. You exchange salvation for a spin. And you become deceived. And you become religious. And that puts you deep in the wrath of God. As he says, indignation and wrath. Tribulation. That means just pressure and anguish. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also the Gentile. Remember, it says that God is no respecter of persons in verse 10. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. Just because you're ethnically a Jew does not equate to salvation. Okay, so we see that. Verse 12, verse 11, For there is no respect of persons with God. I mean, God is impartial. He's impartial. That literally means He doesn't go by the face. To, to be impartial means to present a face. Okay, so I come up here, you know, and, and Brother Jonathan knows who I am. And he looks at me and he sees my face. And because he knows who I am, well, he takes that into consideration. Okay? Who I am. And, and so, if God were a partial God, what that means is that when you stand before God, He looks at your face and He says, okay, I'm going to treat you different. I'm going to consider you because of who you are. I'll be partial. I'll, I'll show favoritism. But God is not like that. God doesn't look at the face and say, oh, it's you. I'm going to handle you differently then I'm going to handle somebody else. God handles everybody the same way. Those that are seeking to live pure doctrinally and pure in their life, God says, I'm offering you eternal life and peace. Those who give themselves to disobedience and evil, God says indignation and wrath and tribulation. And God says, I don't look at your face. That doesn't determine. God doesn't take into consideration who the person is. He takes into consideration what the person's doing. And that's the way that we have to be as a people. We, we can't go by people's face, okay? So here comes one guy, and we treat him one way because he's this. 
We treat another person another way because He's this. You cannot be partial and serve God. Everything has to be the same. It has to be the same for... Understand what I'm saying? doesn't matter your position. doesn't matter who you are. When it comes to God, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it makes no difference with God. Okay? Everybody's going to be judged based on their deeds. Very serious. Hallelujah. I think a great example of this is I was reading about a Roman ruler who two, whose two children, whose two sons were trying to overthrow the Roman government. They were his sons. But he had them executed. In order for him to execute his own sons for trying to overthrow the government, that means he had to swallow fatherhood. He could not let the fact that I'm their daddy, I'm their father, cloud his judgment. They were trying to overthrow the government and he had to treat those two boys just like he would have treated somebody that wasn't his son. So he had to swallow the fact that he was a daddy and exercise impartiality. And if you're a servant of the living God, that's the way that you have to be. You can't treat your children one way and somebody else's child another way. You gotta treat everybody the same way. You gotta treat, you gotta tell your own kids when they're wrong, they're wrong. If they're right, they're right. But you cannot let something get a hold of you. Well, that's my son, that's my child. And let that hinder your ability to make good, sound, solid judgment. Because with God, He is, He doesn't work that way. He doesn't work based on the face or who the person is. Can you imagine what it would have taken for that Roman ruler to execute his sons for trying to overthrow the government? To exercise that kind of impartiality. That's a good example of God. God is like that. God is not partial. God doesn't show favoritism. He's a righteous judge. And when He judges, He judges based on knowledge. He judges based on truth. He judges based on the deeds of our life. He doesn't judge it based on position or power or education or anything like that. In the book of James, God rebuked some in the church in James he wrote about people that came and they had, you know, very, they could tell when they walked through the door they were very wealthy. And so they'd get them at the front door and they'd come and set them on the front row, man. Because they had money. And then they'd take somebody that didn't have anything and, you know, put them on the back row. And James rebukes them in their judgment. That they were partial in their judgment. Amen. So you don't do that. You can't serve God that way. You have to be on the level. Look at your neighbor and say, get on the level. It doesn't matter who it is. Get on the level. If your child is committing sin, call it what it is. If they're doing something wrong, call it what it is. Don't just call it out on in somebody else's life, 
but call it out in the ones that you know that you would be tempted to be partial to. Man, it takes a lot to swallow your fatherhood and execute your sons for seeking to overthrow the government. But that's what—that's an example of being impartial. And that's the way God is. He is not partial. He doesn't play favoritism. And I'm going to tell this church tonight that some of you need to repent of that spirit of favoritism and partiality because you close your eyes and cover your eyes in the sins of those that you love. And you're not on the level. And God rebukes you for that. You cannot serve God. I cannot serve God as a pastor and show favoritism. I love everybody. I reach out to everybody. I shake everybody's hands. I tell them I love you. I try to have a relationship with everybody. Not just my kids, but with everybody. I don't have a clique. I'm going to say it again. I don't have a clique. And I'm not part of a clique. And you people that are part of cliques and you set up your own cliques, you need to repent of that because you're partial. And those cliques that you set up are creating division in the church. And it's all based on this being partial or going by the face. And you know, well, that one's cool or that one's not cool. And I like this one. And, you know, we all going to try to be cool. It's not about trying to be cool. It's about trying to be, it's about being a Christian and it's about not being partial. And if you're a child of God, you're going to get rid of that spirit that creates cliques. And I've tried for a long time as your pastor to drive that stuff out. The cliques that come into this church. This is a small church, man. Small church to have the cliques that we've got in this place. When you come in here, you're a brother and you're a sister in the Lord. Amen. You need to set around. It's all right to have friends, but you need to set around, set aside your click mentality, Amen. and understand God don't have no clicks. God's judgment is based in knowledge and truth, and based on the deeds of a person. Now, if somebody, if somebody's not living right, you need to get away from them. I don't care if they're in the church or not. You need to get away from them, and that doesn't mean you're you're being favorite or playing partial. They're wrong, and you need to because God judges things like that. He judges things based on the deeds of a person. If you are that kind of person tonight. You're always caught up in partiality, always having favoritism. If you're that kind of parent tonight, you need to repent. Because you'll never, you'll never be able to have sound judgment. You won't, you won't relate to your children right. You won't relate to other people's children right. Because you're always going to make a difference between the two. God's not like that. When you judge, judge based on knowledge, based on the truth, based on the deeds of a person. If they're doing something wrong, make a judgment based on that. If they're living right, make a judgment based on that. But get rid of this so-called mentality of showing favoritism to people. Because God doesn't operate that way. I am not that way. 
I'll tell you if you're wrong. I don't care who you are. You know that's the truth. Because I have to be that way if I'm, if I'm going to be a servant of God. If you're wrong, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. I don't care who you are. If you're doing good, I'm going to tell you you're doing good. If you're doing good. Because it's based on knowledge, truth, and deeds. And that's it. Amen. And that's subject to change, isn't it? According to the Word of God, if we patiently continue, if we endure and continue in purity of doctrine and purity of life, then God promises us immortality. But if we don't, in patient continuance, God says indignation and wrath and tribulation. That means that you can change from a position of favor to a position of disfavor. But it's based on deeds. Somebody said amen. Now this this is truth, but I'm going to preach the truth. This is the truth. One thing I want to be is impartial. My kids are wrong, I let them know. I tell them. You're not right in your thinking. If they're right, I tell them, you're right about that. That's wrong. We have to be that kind of a people. So God, when He looks at the Jew, He doesn't say, oh, that's the Jew. That's an Israelite. I'm going to treat him different than I do the Gentile. Even though the Jews living just like the Gentile, God says, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a little bit easier on the Jew than I am the Gentile. God says, oh no. When we, when we make judgments, we have to make judgments the way that God makes judgments. Okay? And, and if you do that, you won't get deceived. You won't get messed up. You can look at a situation. You can look at a person. You can look at anybody. You can make a good, solid judgment based on knowledge, truth, and the deeds of the person. Amen? And you're not going to be confused, but that's not the only thing that God bases His judgment on. And we'll get into that in just a moment, How what, what some other things are. So that Jewish man that's walking down the streets of Corinth that would throw his nose up at those dog pagan Gentiles, God says, you don't realize it, religious man, but your religion has plunged you into the wrath of God. And the same judgment that's going to come upon the Gentile is going to come upon you apart from Christ. Perfect example of that is the rich man in Luke chapter 16. The rich man was a Jew. The rich man saw Abraham and said, Father Abraham, the rich man was a Jew. In the Jewish mind, a Jew would not die and go to hell. But the rich man died. He went to hell. He lifted up his eyes and he was in torment. And what did he notice? He noticed Lazarus. Who had his sores licked by the what? Dogs. A Gentile-like individual over in Abraham's bosom. 
who had a taste of the water, who was in covenant. This Jewish man, not in covenant, who had not tasted the waters of eternal life, was in hell. But Lazarus, one who had his wounds licked by the dogs, the type of a Gentile, was over in Abraham's bosom, paradise, and he was saved. And in between him, the rich man in hell, in Lazarus, in paradise, there was a great gulf fixed. And that word gulf is a medical term, which means a wound. A great wound. And the rich man had a desire for Lazarus to go and dip his finger in water. Water. He had the waters of life. Go dip your finger in water and touch the tip of my tongue because I'm tormented in these flames. And Abraham said, if you wanted to come over here, you couldn't. And if Lazarus wanted to come from where he is to where you are, he couldn't. Because there's a great gulf that is fixed separating the two compartments between the saved and the lost. But the rich man was the Jewish man that was in hell who did not have the waters of eternal life. But that gulf is a picture of the wound of Calvary. Calvary is the only thing. The wound of Calvary is the only thing that will get you out of hell into paradise. It's a great gulf that is fixed. The only thing that can save the rich man in hell, the Jewish rich man in hell, is the blood, the gaping wound of Jesus Christ upon the cross. It's what gave Lazarus, the dog-like Gentile, eternal life. He had the waters of eternal life. God is showing you by His Word, by parabolic example. And I do believe that that wasn't just a parable. It was a reality. It did happen. That the Jewish, the religious Jewish man can die and go to heaven or hell if he doesn't have the waters of life. If he hasn't experienced the gaping wound of Jesus on the cross. A Gentile can be saved that's dog-like then the Jewish mind is deserving of hell can be saved because he has experienced the covenant waters provided him through the gaping wound of Jesus Christ. God is not partial. When you and I First of all, we need to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. And then we need to get, we need to look at the people around us on a daily basis. And we need to know that every person that doesn't have the gospel of Jesus Christ, that doesn't have the waters, the living waters of, of covenant based on the blood that he shed on that cross, every one of those people are going to die and go to hell. Every one of them. When you live with that reality, you look at people are totally different. Knowing that they could possibly if you don't share the gospel with them, die and go to hell because without that gospel they cannot be saved because God is not partial. Everybody has to be the sa- saved the same way. The Jew's got to be saved the same way the Gentile. And the Gentile's going to be saved the same way the Jew does. Every church member's got to be saved the same way. It's not enough just to be religious. It's not enough.
of the Bible. Knowing and doing is not equal. It's not enough just going to church and, and reading your Bible. It's, it's, you've got to be full of the Spirit of God. You have to, with patient continuance, honor and glorify God with your life. Everybody needs Jesus. Are you impartial tonight? Do you make when you make judgments? Do you make it based on knowledge and truth and deeds? If you do, you're fine. You're in the Bible. You have to make judgments, but it can never be based on partiality. It gets a little tricky, man. It does. It gets a little tricky because we're human and we were tempted to want to be partial, maybe to our kids. And impartial to somebody else's. Condemn, condemn what we see in other people's children, but don't condemn the same thing in our own. That's not the way God judges. And I thank God for you because, and I'm not trying to beat you up. I have some people in here that when they make judgments, they make judgments based on the truth and the knowledge of God's Word. And they, they make judgment not based on partiality of any kind of relationship. It's This is the way it is, man. And it doesn't matter what the fleshly relationship is. It doesn't matter what the ethnic connection is. This is God. This is His Word. This is right. This is wrong. And we're either doing right or we're doing wrong. And that's the way it is. Verse 12, for as many as have sinned without law. Now that'd be the Gentiles, right? They didn't have the Bible. So they didn't have the Bible. They're going to be judged by God. Then they're going to be judged without law. That means, listen, this is what he's saying. They're going to be judged based on the light that they have. On Judgment Day, when people stand before God on Judgment Day, He's not going to judge them with something they didn't have. If they didn't have the Bible, God's not going to judge them with the Bible. He's going to judge them with what they had. If they didn't have the law, like the Jews did, God's going to judge them not with the law, but without the law. They're still going to be judged. It's going to be a different kind of judgment. Amen? It's going to be based on the light. So I will say this to you, my good brothers and sisters, and I'm not preaching to you like you're all hellbound, but I am telling you the truth that for those who do not take opportunity, when you have the opportunity to hear the gospel, the Jew had more advantage than the Gentile because the Jew had the Word of God. But because of that, it didn't give them advantage in the sense of making it to heaven. It produced more judgment upon their life in the future. The people that will experience the hottest hell in eternity are the people who had an opportunity to hear the gospel and to live it and did not do it. The Jew that God gave the word to 
will be judged on a, with, with a greater intensity and a hotter hell than the Gentile that didn't have the Bible. If you and I, if I don't make it and you don't make it into heaven, your hell's going to be hotter than anybody that's ever lived in the world because you heard the Word of God and you would not walk in it. Because you heard the truth. I'm, I, listen, that, that puts a greater responsibility on you. It doesn't cause you to walk around with arrogance and pride and, hey, look, I'm, you know, I'm better than you. No, it, says, it puts a greater responsibility on me because I know the truth. And you know the truth. And if you reject God, you reject the truth, you act a fool. And I'm going to come right down your throat. You reject it. You act a fool. You deserve damnation. You deserve to die and go to hell. And so do I. You ought to be the most on fire people on the planet. Because you have heard the gospel. You've been baptized in Jesus' name. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost. You ought to be on fire tonight. There are people who have never heard what you've heard. If they had the chance you've got. They would turn their world upside down for Jesus Christ. The greater privilege you have brings the greater responsibility. That's why you and I better make it to heaven. I said we don't have a choice. We better make it to heaven. And we better do whatever it takes instead of trying to debate our way on the way. Well, you know, can I do this and go to heaven? Can I do this and go to heaven? Don't even think like that. Whatever it takes to go to heaven, you better be there. Whatever you got to give up to be in heaven, give it up. Because you, you look at your neighbor and say, you better be there. You've got to be there. Because if you're not, what you know is going to cause your hell to be hotter than anybody else's that don't know the truth. And God is not going to show favoritism. For you young people today, religion, Mom and dad were in the church. They got filled with the Holy Ghost. They got baptized in water in the name of Jesus. You were born, some of you, on the church pew. But just because your parents have been born again doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Each and every one of you, young people, have to have your own walk with Jesus Christ. My son, I'm a pastor, but my son has to have his own walk with Jesus Christ. My daughter has to have her own walk with Jesus Christ. My wife has to have her own walk with Jesus Christ. you're not careful, you'll come and you'll be in here. Well, I'm, I, Mom and Dad, they got the Holy Ghost. They've been in the church. I was born here. I don't have a choice. I just have to be here. You need to thank God you are here. Don't say, well, I wish I could do something different, but I guess once a Pentecostal, always a Pentecostal. Thank God! 
back for the heritage. Thank God that you were born to a family that were in the truth. Thank God for that. Don't have the mentality. Oh man, if I could have done it different, I'd have been born to a different family. But I had to be born to a Pentecostal family. It helps you in the sense that you got to hear the truth. But every one of you young people, you can't look at mama and say, I'm going to heaven because mama's going. Hallelujah. You got to get your own walk with God and you got to get on fire for Jesus Christ. I have to go to heaven. You have to go to heaven. If you don't, hell will be harder for you than your family member that you're so worried about that's never heard the truth. And you need to be worried about them. Say amen. Amen. You can have a prophet in your in your home. Be a prophet's son or daughter and still go to hell. You've got to get your own walk with God. It can't be religion. You can't be a religious person. You can't be religious. You can't just go to church because mama makes you go to church. You gotta get your own walk with God. Amen. It's the truth. God is not partial. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Walk, they'll be judged according to the light that they have. I asked a question a long time ago to one of the greatest Bible teachers that I've ever heard preach the Word of God. His name was Edmund Dice. I asked him about a preacher, well-known preacher. Did he think he's going to go to heaven? Brother Dice said, I don't think I can preach the messages of that man and put him into hell, so I'm not going to put him into hell. But I will tell you this, what constitutes a saint in any given dispensation in history, what constitutes a saint is that they're walking in the light that has been given in that particular dispensation from God. That's what constitutes a saint. Before the cross, before Pentecost, people were saints before they got the Holy Ghost before they were water baptized in Jesus' name in the Old Testament because they walked in all the light that God had given them in that particular dispensation. But with more progressive revelation from God, greater light has come and we are responsible for the light that we have now. That's what constitutes a saint. Is that you're walking in the light that God has given to that specific generation. In the Old Testament, the Jew, and it really, it really didn't, it wasn't really new, because everything that Jesus did was based on the Abrahamic covenant, and the Mosaic law was added later. But the law never saved. The law was given to a people that were saved. 
but they started trying to use the law to say to find a way to be saved by their own good works. Now, I'm not going to get into all that because that gets heavy. But Paul wasn't preaching a different gospel. He was preaching the same kind of gospel, but there was just more revelation, more fulfillment in the days of Christ. But God wants you to understand that the person that didn't have the law is going to be judged. They're going to be judged without the law. And the person that was in the law, they're going to be judged in the law, by the law of God. Gentile or Jew, without or with. Verse 14, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law. Now what are we talking about here when he talks about the Jews doing the Gentiles which have not the law? What is he talking about? Have not the law. Real quick, when you talk about the law, Nomos. Nomos in the Greek. The law of God has to do with any command of God in a general way. Okay? But here, most likely, it's talking about the law of Moses. The law of God can also be interpreted as the Old Testament as a whole. It can also be interpreted as a principle or a law or a power. A principle or a power like faith is a law. Okay? It has also to do with understanding the will of God. So when you read the term law, nomos, you have to read the context to determine what's he talking about. So to break through all of that and just to give it to you, he's talking about the law of Moses that the Jews walked in, Torah. Okay? First five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, not Deuteronomy, five, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, five books. They carried that scroll, man. They read it day and night. They memorized it. Some of them by 13 had the first five books of the Bible memorized by heart. They didn't even have to carry it to the pulpit with them. They could quote it verbatim. They knew it inside and out. And when you see them walking down the street and you see them wearing like these white turbans on their head, the higher the turban was would tell you that that person, depending on how high his hat was, would tell you how much Scripture he had memorized. They knew that law, that Mosaic law, inside and out verbatim memorized it. The problem is they didn't obey it. They could quote it. They knew it, but they didn't do it. And so I believe that this law here is talking about the, the law of Moses. This particular context. And now, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Amen? Now, I want, I want to ask you a question. If you were a Jewish person sitting in the congregation tonight and I were preaching this to you and I would say to you only the doers of the law can be justified with God. If you were a Jew, you would, you would think that meant okay, I'm going to get the commandments, I'm going to read the commandments and, and I'm going to obey the commands. And as long as I obey them 100%, I'll be saved. That's, that would be the way they would interpret it. The problem is that nobody's ever lived on the earth that obeyed the law of God 
But when I hear, be ye doers of the law and not hearers only, you know what that means to me? What Galatians says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. Let's go there. You know who it is that is the doer of the law? The true doers of the law? That's what God requires. That's what He requires. Galatians 3. Verse 21. Galatians 3.21 Is the law then given? Or is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our pedagogos, our schoolmaster. To do what? To lead us to Christ. To bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified. How? By faith. According to the Word of God, New Testament, the doers of the law are those who come to Christ and are justified by faith. That's the way the New Testament interprets doers of the law. They've let the law be the pedagogos, the schoolmaster, the boy teacher that leads them to Christ. So if God requires that we be a doer of the law, we understand that means that we let the law bring us to Christ and we're justified by faith, not trying to keep a code of rules to be saved, but because we are saved. We're doers of the law in the sense that we let it lead us to Christ and we're doers of the law because now we're justified. We keep His commands because we are saved, not to be saved or to get saved. That's what a doer of the law in the New Testament means. I am a, if somebody ever asks you, are you a doer of the law? You better believe it. How? Are you relying on your own good works? No. I'm a doer of the law because I let it be the pedagogos, the schoolmaster that led me to Christ. And I'm justified by faith, not in my own good works. But that salvation produces good works and obedience to the law. That's the proper way it should be interpreted. That's the way it should have been interpreted even before New Testament days. But they took it as a code book of rules. That if they just kept it and they just did it, that'd be enough to save them. And God says nobody has ever existed. Many have come close. They made a 99 on the test. But they didn't make a 100. Therefore, you need to understand that as the law condemns you and brings you to a place of despair, 
that that law in your despair is to take you by the arms and bring you to a Savior that could deliver you from the world of wrath. And the only way to get out of His wrath, deep in the wrath of God, is not becoming more religious. The way to get out of the deep wrath of God is to get out of that world of wrath and get into a world that He has created by a new creation. So I am a doer of the law because I, I let it do what it was supposed to do. And that was to drive me to despair and lead me to Christ where I'm justified in what He's done. By being born again of the water and the Spirit, I've got a new nature and I'm in a brand new world. I've come out of that world of wrath and now I've entered into the world of the blessings of God and the Spirit of God is in my life. I am a doer of the law. That's the way Galatians presents it. So we look at it. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. That means in right relationship with God. See, Paul always wondered, how can I be right with God? He's writing to Gentiles and Jews. He's telling them how you can be right with God. And it's not because you were good enough in your own ability. Is it in your despair you went to Christ and were justified based on His finished work? For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, having not the law, are law unto themselves. This is interesting to me because God says, you know, there's some people, there's some Gentiles, they didn't have the law of God, they didn't have the Word of God, but they still, as the Scripture says, they do by nature the things contained in the law. Isn't that interesting? They're law unto themselves. What, what, what does that mean? Well, there are people, brothers and sisters, and you know, they don't claim to be Christians. As I said this morning, but they honor their mother and their father. Just, just somebody lost in the world. We know people, they're not Christian, they're not born again. But the kids honor their mother and their father. You sit in the church, you've got the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name, and some of you don't honor your father and your mother. But there, there's, some, man, there's some people out there, they don't even know Jesus Christ. But they do by nature the things that are in the law. They don't steal. They pay their bills. Amen. They honor their mother and their father. They don't commit adultery. They're not saved. They don't have the Word of God. But they live, they do, by nature, the things that are contained in the law. 
having not the law or law unto themselves. Let me give you something, okay? Instead of just the, just the person out there that's trying to be you know, a decent moral person that he's talking about here. What law is he talking about here? If they don't have the Mosaic law, then what law do they have? They have a law which means they have an understanding of the will of God. And then he goes on and he explains that. He says they have an inward conscience. They know right from wrong inside. They don't claim to live by the Bible. But they do try to do what's right. They do know the difference between right and wrong. That's what he's talking about. We're talking about the law that the Gentiles have, the pagans apart from Christ. He's talking about they just they, they know that there's a right and there's a wrong. Okay? They understand the will of God without even reading the Bible. They understand that a child is supposed to honor their father and mother. They understand that you shouldn't steal and kill. They understand. They don't have the Bible, but they know that. For example, I read about in Africa. This is a good example of, of Gentiles that don't have the Bible, but they know on the inside right and wrong. And so, because they know there's a right and a wrong, they have a way to prove guilt in a person. You know what they do? This is what we ought to start doing in Bible Center Fellowship. I'm going to build a big old campfire up here on the platform, and I'm going to stick a knife in the fire. Now, I'm not really going to do that. Some of y'all are freaking out. I'm not really going to do that. But that's what they do. They'll build a fire. They'll stick a knife in the fire. And they have a lie detector's test over in Africa. They'll take that hot knife out of that fire and they'll tell you to stick out your tongue and they'll put that hot knife on your tongue. And if it's not painful, very painful, and they can hear the saliva sizzling. They know you're not guilty. If you're guilty, your tongue's going to be dry. And they put that hot knife on that dry tongue and it scorches the tongue and they say, you guilty. They didn't have the Bible. But they knew there was right and there was wrong. And they figured out a way to prove the guilt in the person. Hallelujah. Man, I'm telling you, before they even laid the knife on my tongue, I'd say, I'm guilty. <laughs> you don't need to do that to me. I'm guilty. <laughs> even if I wasn't guilty, I'd say, I'm guilty, man. I don't, I don't want to take a chance. Do what you got to do, man. Take me out, beat me, throw rocks at me, whatever. But it might be kind of like the lie detectors test that people get today. They're really, you know, you can't use them in a court of law because they're not always 100% accurate. <laughs> man, I knew somebody, they could go and take a lie detectors test because they didn't have a conscience or very little conscience. That lie detectors test never worked on them. Or hardly ever worked on him if it did. I knew somebody 
he'd go in there and take a lie detector's test. And the person administering the lie detector's test threw up their hands, got mad, and said, I'm not working with you anymore. Turned him over to somebody else. No wonder it's not admissible in the court of law. There's some people that don't have no conscience. They, the heartbeat don't change. No conscience, man. But I, I, I think that probably over there in Africa, that, that's, that one works. That one works. Stick your tongue out. That's what we're going to start doing in Bible Center Fellowship. We're going to get a fire, put a knife there. We're going to say, all right. We don't know if you're guilty or you're innocent. Come up here, let's see. <laughs> if you scream and it burns, scorches your tongue, you're guilty. No, what I'm trying to show you is a perfect example of people that didn't have the, the Word of God, but they knew, they, they knew there was right and wrong. And even though they didn't have the Bible, they did by nature the things that were in that Bible. You got the Holy Ghost. Everybody stick out your tongue. Who's got a knife? Who's got the fire? I got the knife. I got the fire. Right here. We don't need to stick out your tongue. We just need you to speak in tongues. <laughs> Brother Dice, I told y'all, Brother Dice, I know you're tired and everything, but Brother Dice, I'd be standing on the front row and I'd be doing the best I could, man, be into the Word of God, you know. And Sometimes he just didn't like the way I looked. He'd go up there and get my, put his big old hand on my head and speak in tongues! Speak in tongues! I, I mean, I just start speaking in tongues, man. Hallelujah, God. Uh, yeah, but that's I'm full of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. God, he scared me half to death. That's what I ought to do with some of you. Speak in tongues. Speak in tongues. You come in here looking like you do, I ought to grab you by the top of the head. <laughs> That scared me half to death, man. If I didn't have God, I got God. If I wasn't right with God, I got right with God. I don't know why He's always picking on me. He's always picking on me. Amen. And for some reason, He'd always say she was my better half. I never could understand that. She's my better half. I understood it. I'm just kidding. Don't be so self-righteous. <laughs> that's what it means. That people don't have the Bible, but they do by nature the things that are in it. And there are the people that you know, not in the church, not saved. They're going to hell, man. They're going to hell. If they don't get right with God, with Jesus. 
but they probably live better than some people in the church tonight. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just good old boys. Just the good old boys. Good old boys. Then he goes on and explains they have the show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. It doesn't mean they're going to be saved because they're, you know, doing what's right. It doesn't mean they're going to be saved. What it means is they're either being excused or they're being accused for their actions when they do it. And they know it. When they do something, their conscience, even though they don't have the Bible, even though they don't go to church, even though they don't claim to be a Christian, something inside of them says, that was wrong, accusing them. That was good, that was right, excusing them. There's a conflict within those people of accusing and excusing. doesn't mean they're saved, but they have a principle that God put in them. It's called the conscience. Ability to know right from wrong. Amen. You can see it in their law courts. They're not even Christian nations, claim to be Christian nations. But in their law courts, it's based on right and wrong. Don't know Jesus, not going to heaven, but still have law. This is what God's Word says. He goes on. Verse 16, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Hallelujah. And I explained this morning how you could escape man's law, and I won't do that tonight because you're already getting tired. But you know, get the message from this morning and listen to it. You can escape man's law four ways. But all four of those ways, you can't escape God's law. God says the secrets of men's hearts are going to be revealed. Not just the action that the person did, but why they did it. Why did they do it? God doesn't just judge based on the action. He judges based on the motive. What was behind it? God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to what? My gospel. Nobody can be saved without the gospel. Look at verse 12 again. For as many as have sinned without law shall also what? Perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Perish is a strong word. That means to be ruined. That means to be destroyed. What Paul is saying is that if you haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll be lost. We better get busy. We better get busy. It's the only way somebody can be saved. The religious Jew, the religious man, the pagan in the world, everybody. The only way we can be saved is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. 
Behold, thou art called a Jew, restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that, they, that thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge, and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, doest thou steal. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast to the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, through you it is written. The problem was, it's not that they didn't know the law. They claimed to be teachers of it. The problem is, they didn't do it. And in doing so, they dishonored God. They literally broke the covenant that they claimed to be a part of by their life. And then he talks about circumcision. For circumcision is very provident if you keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. It's about relationship. You, in the Old Testament, that was a part of the Old Covenant. The Old Testament circumcision, the eighth day of the foreskin, Genesis, what is it, Genesis... 14, I believe. Maybe Genesis 17. Genesis 14 or Genesis 17. It might be Genesis 17, 14. I don't know. But that was in the Old Testament. The mark of the Old Covenant. The Jews walked around. They claimed, yeah, we're circumcised, so we must be right with God. God says you can be circumcised and still go to hell. Because it's about relationship. Practical application. You can come and be water baptized in the name of Jesus. In fact, it's commanded. If you just go down in water and just get wet, let me just say it to you this way. If when we baptize you in water in the name of Jesus and you don't change, there has not been a change. You can go through the outward ritual, but if your heart hasn't been changed, if there's no relationship, there's no change. So they'd boast about the circumcision that they had, but God's saying, no, that's not enough. Shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? You see that? So some people would have the law. They're, they're not circumcised, but they, they keep it. You're circumcised, but you don't keep. You get the point? All right, now let's go to verse 28. He sums it up. He tells you who a true Jew is. It's not somebody that's walking down the street with Torah under their arms, quoting the Shema. Okay? They're circumcised. They would claim they were being covenant with God. They would claim they're on the way to heaven but they have rejected Jesus Christ. How could they be lost? No, how could they be saved? If they reject in Jesus Christ. That's the point. So Paul explains who the true Jew is. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is the outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. God tells you who a, new, a true Jew is. It's not somebody that's ethnically the Jew. 
A true Jew is somebody who's been circumcised in the heart, in the spirit. Numa. You know what God is saying? He says, you know who the, uh, the true people of God are? The people that are in relationship with me are people that are filled with the Holy Ghost. They've experienced a circumcision in their heart. They've got the Spirit of God, their pneuma, in contrast to the letter, which is the Mosaic Law, which is the Old Covenant and circumcision of the Old Covenant. God says, no, the true Jew is somebody that's in the new age of the Spirit. Somebody that's filled with the Spirit of the living God that worships Him like Judah should worship Him in spirit and in truth. And who knows that salvation is of the Jews because Jews were monotheistic. Jews were one God. We got one God and we got one Jesus and salvation is of the Jews and a true Jew is somebody that's filled with the Spirit in the new age of the Spirit in contrast to the old age of the letter and the law of Moses and physical circumcision. True Judas, true worshipers in spirit and in truth. Now, Paul is anticipating questions. Alright, well, what is God going to do with the Jewish people then? What about all these people apart from Christ? Jewish people circumcised in, this, in their foreskin, carried Torah under their arms and seeking to obey the commandments of God, but not a Christian. Is God, is God done with them? Is He going to discard them? Is He going to throw them away? Is He going to throw away the Old Testament? What's He going to do? Do they have an advantage? Let's see. Paul anticipates the question. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Here we go. Very quickly. Much every way. Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The advantage that the Jew has is they were given divine revelation. To them that committed the oracles of God. The oracle is the holy of holies. That's the place where God's word was resident. They have divine revelation. God gave the Jewish people His mind. The word of God was written by the Jews. You wouldn't have a Bible if it wasn't for the Jews. He gave them the oracle. He gave them His mind. He gave them divine revelation. He revealed Himself to them as a nation. The problem is, they broke the covenant with Him. And Paul is showing them that they need Jesus just as bad as the Gentile does. Stop boasting in your race. Stop boasting in your nationality. Stop boasting in your ritual. Stop boasting in your religion. Stop boasting in your denomination. Understand it's about Jesus Christ. God gave them the oracle divine revelation. They have an advantage given the Word of God. 
For what if some did not believe? They've given the Word of God, but some people aren't believing the Gospel. They're not believing that Jesus is their Savior. The Jews, His own people, rejected Him. What's up with that? If Jesus is the true Messiah of the Jews, then why do the Jews reject their Messiah? How could that possibly be? For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God is saying this. His truth is still the truth whether they believe it or they don't believe it. Whether you believe it or I don't believe it, it's still the truth. You can say, I don't believe that doesn't it's not going to change the fact that it's the truth. That's right, amen. God forbid, yea, God, let God be true and every man a liar as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sins and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto His glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we slanderously we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. They said because Paul's preaching a message of the gospel, the good news, that you could be justified in the finished work of Jesus Christ. They were saying that Paul was preaching a license to sin. That his message of grace was a message that condoned sin. And they were saying that when Paul preached that, that he was saying that if he lied, then that would make the grace of God shine brighter, so to speak. Paul never preached that. They slandered him for the message that he preached. Justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Okay, so he gets to the point. He said, you know what the problem is with the Gentiles that don't have the Bible? You know what the problem is with the Jews that have the Bible? The problem is the same. The problem is the same for everybody. Every human being on planet earth. Doesn't matter what nationality you are. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what gender you are. Doesn't matter. The problem is that everybody is sold under sin. That means that everybody was born with a sin nature. You can know this Bible inside and out. But that won't break the power of sin. You can go to church till you're blue in the face. But that won't break the power of sin. The problem with you is the same problem with the person sitting next to you. The same problem with the Gentile is the same problem with the Jew. And the only 
thing that can break the power, the shackles, the prison house of sin that you're in is the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And if you're religious, you need to be delivered out from the wrath of God. You need to be delivered from religion. If you're a pagan and you're living in all kinds, all manners of evil sin, amen, the power of the gospel can set you free. And it is the only thing. If you think going to church is enough to give you power over that sin nature, it's not enough. Being religious is not enough. Reading your Bible is not enough. Knowing that Bible is not enough. Studying that Bible is not enough. You have to be born again. You have to get a new nature. You have to come out of the world of the wrath of God into a brand new world. And the only way that you can do that is by being born again, being filled with the Holy Ghost, and becoming a true Jew, which is one inwardly and not outwardly, one of the Spirit, not the flesh. And that's the Gospel. But before he preaches that Gospel and declares how, you can be delivered out from underneath the power of sin. He has to show us just how bad humanity is. That the whole human race stands before God condemned. Everybody's condemned. Why? What's the problem? Everybody was born with a sin nature. The Jew wasn't born with a sinless nature. The Jew was born with a sin nature just like the Gentile. And that's where the problem is. And only Jesus Christ can save you and save me. That's it. He's the only one that can break that, that chain, that power, that addiction, that sin, that struggle, that frustration. He's the only one. But He can do it. If you will believe by faith in His finished work and be born again of the water and the Spirit, God will give you power over sin, victory over sin, set you free from the prison house, take the shackles off of you. It's not about going to church. It's not about just reading your Bible. It's not about listening to all the television preachers day and night. It's not all about that. It's about yielding your life to Jesus. Giving your life to Jesus. Letting Jesus take control of your life. Let Jesus live through you. Let Jesus be in you. Let Jesus be in control. Let Jesus take over your life. It's not even enough to know right and wrong. It's not even enough to have a conscience. You can override that. It's about yielding your life to Him. Amen. So God, what is Paul saying? No, God's not going to discard the Jew. He's not going to throw the Old Testament away. They have advantage. But the problem is that they have a sin nature just like anybody else does. And know about no amount of good works you know, is 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 going to break that sin nature. You, brothers and sisters, and I believe in holiness. But you can wear your skirt to the floor, and your hair touching the ground. You can get up in the morning and 
and all day long work, 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 work. And that's fine if you do it for the right reason. But that will never give you power over yourself. That will never give you victory over yourself. God didn't call you to monasticism. He didn't call you to be a monk. To go sit on the top of a pole somewhere and try to deny your flesh until you overcome every appetite that it has. And the last appetite that you have that's the hardest one to overcome is your sexual appetite. And you've got to stay on that pole until you get the victory over every appetite. God did not call you to monasticism. God called you to be born again of the water and the Spirit. And when you get that, you've got power from within to live this life for Jesus Christ. And it will set you free. It will liberate you. Knowing what's right is not enough. Working constantly is not enough. It's about relationship with Jesus Christ. And you live for God the right way. You'll never want to leave Him. You'll never want to leave the church. Because you got it, you got it, you got Jesus first and then the works that follow. But until you understand the gospel, you'll be frustrated. Constantly frustrated. And you say, man, I thought, okay, if I fasted for 30 days, I thought I'd, I'd, I, I thought I'd be happy if I fasted for 30 days. If I fasted for 30 days, I thought I'd, I'd, I'd get the victory. And you fasted for 30 days and you're still struggling. Because you don't understand the gospel. And fasting, that's a Bible thing. That's a good thing to do. But make sure you're fasting for the right reason. Because at the end of it, you might find out you're just as miserable at the end of it as you were before you started. It's about not being religious. It's about letting Jesus Christ live His life through you, brothers and sisters. And I do believe in holiness. I believe in standards. I believe in all of that. But that has to come out of a a heart that is in love with Jesus Christ. It has to come out of a relationship that you have with God. I can get the tape measure out and measure you head to toe. I can set all the rules. But I want to tell you something, man. I won't ever have to pull out the tape measure if you love Jesus. I won't ever have to. I won't ever have to tell you to win souls if you love Jesus. If God, if you're full of Jesus tonight, I won't ever have to tell you. Because you'll just be out there doing it. And it, it won't be work. It'll, you'll just be, hallelujah, serving the Lord. Hallelujah. Give God praise in the house. Nobody will ever have to tell you to worship. Nobody will ever have to tell you to run. Nobody will ever have to tell you to do anything. Because Jesus set you free from the prison house of sin. The powers of darkness. Set you free from yourself. Set you free from being religious. Set you free from the power of sin. Set you free from Satan. Set you free from the power of that old sin nature that's inside of you. Set you free. Liberated you. Law couldn't do that. And it was never meant to do that. We have a gospel message. But we have to know how rotten we are. So we'll stop trying to do it on our own. We start letting God do it through us. Ain't nothing like a life that's a Christian life. 
How is it? What's the motive? Flesh or spirit? How is it that we, when we first get in the church, what we do, we do in the spirit. And then the longer we live for the Lord, we revert from trying to do it by the spirit. We start trusting in our flesh. When you first got in the church, man, you were just in love with God. You understand what I'm saying? Right? Hallelujah. Just in love with Jesus, man. Everything you did, it came from the Spirit, from within. And then all of a sudden now, okay, you've been in the church for a while, now you're going to re- re- revert, you're going to exchange the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, to works. Working. I'm going to work. Get the approval of God. I'm going to work, 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 work all the time. Well, that's good. But it's not good. If you're doing it to be right with God, it's not good. If you're doing it because you know you are right with God, that's a totally different thing. Somebody said amen. about relationship. Amen. You get you get a situation, a person trying to it's it's just all about the work. You know, people quit living for God. They we, they call it quit living for God. What they really do is they just got tired and frustrated. Because they were relying on their own strength. It's about relationship. You know, it's not a, it's not a very good marriage that at the first when you get married there's relationship that's there and then afterwards you change it from relationship that's all about work all the time. And the relationship's not there anymore. Let me tell you something. It's no longer a marriage. It has to be about relationship. Okay? I can get up in the morning and I can bark orders at her all day long. If the relationship's there, not there, it's not going to work. She can bark orders of me all day long. If the relationship's not, if the relationship's not there, it's not going to work. Somebody said, amen. "Amen." So if you're full of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, man, you've been set free. You know, that, I feel right now. I'm telling you, brother, I feel so good right now. Not because I deserve it. I promise you, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But I feel good because of the gospel. I have good news this morning. Tonight, Jesus is real. Jesus is real. Jesus, Jesus is the one that comes and sets you free from your prison. And I told you, I told you what to do. I told you what to do. I told you what to do. You stand guilty before God. The whole world stands guilty before God. You know what you do? You run to Him. Amen. And you just admit, I'm guilty. You settle out of court. That's what you do. You settle out of court. And you're like, Jesus Christ, take your place. Hallelujah. 
I am so thankful tonight for the Lord. I am so thankful tonight. Brothers, I'm going to, I'm just going to tell you this, man. I'm going to tell you this. I didn't understand it for a long time, but there was an old Pentecostal preacher. He's no, he's no longer alive. Not Brother Dice, another old Pentecostal preacher. He gave a testimony. He said, in that testimony, he said, I got to a place in my life where I was working so hard, working hard to get the approval of God. And he talked about how miserable he was working so hard to get the approval of God until he understood the gospel. It can happen to a preacher. It can happen to any of us, man. It's about relationship. Hallelujah. Some of the most miserable people, we can be the most miserable people on the planet. Having begun in the Spirit, we try to end in the flesh. Won't you just let Jesus take over? Let Jesus fill your life. Let Jesus be in charge. Understand you're guilty. Just say, God, I just, I'm settling out of court. I need a Savior. And if you do that, you'll be free. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Hallelujah. Frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. Coming to me, all you that are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Whatever you gotta do, crawl to him, roll to him, whatever, run to him, walk to him, whatever you gotta do, get to Jesus! Because he's the only one that can give you rest. He's the only one that can set you free from your prison. He's the only one that can deliver you. You'll live your life, your whole life, looking for happiness, your whole life, and never find it. Until you understand that Jesus Christ is the one that sets you free. He's the answer. It's not your religion. It's not your denomination. Hallelujah. It's relationship. Thank you, Jesus. It's so basic, isn't it? It's so basic. And Paul would have to take What, two chapters to tell you how desperately you need Him? And He don't forget the religious folk that's trying to work? Hmm. Praise the Lord. Y'all ready to go home? You ever told yourself, I'm going to do what's right? And you didn't? Did you ever tell yourself, I'm going to stop doing the wrong? But you kept doing it? Where'd that come from? That old sin nature. Everybody needs Jesus. You need Him. You need I need Him. I need Him. I need Him. I need Him. I don't want to get religious horrible it's horrible 
It is the, the stinkingest thing on the planet for people to get religious. Don't ever get religious, man. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus set you free tonight. Now again, Paul, and Paul is clear, already cleared this up. He's not preaching this message as a license to sin. He's already cleared that all up. But he's telling you the problem is the power of sin. The only one that can break that's Jesus. Say amen. He not even say it's okay not to keep. He didn't say don't obey the law. He said use it lawfully. Use it lawfully. Okay, so let me just finish. I know you're getting tired. So he proves the Jews and Gentiles, all of us under the power of sin. As written, there is none righteous, no, not one. He begins to list. I think there's like 13 different things he's going to list here as he indicts us all. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh God. They are all gone out of the way. They are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Thirteen things. What you say, what you do, is proof of what He said. The power, we're under the power of sin. Okay? Hallelujah. And I pray to God it's 13. That's what I have in my notes. So and if it's not 13, come and tell me because I need to change my notes. But I don't have my notes with me. But I'm just, I need to change my notes when I get to my notes. Okay? But I think there's 13 things God indicts man on. He said, this is, I've got proof. i got proof of what I'm saying. What you say with your mouth, what you do with your life is proof. You're under the power of sin. Now we know that whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Amen. Look at verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in His sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Let me break it all down to you. Just I'm going to get right to the point. When he talks about the law here, that nobody's justified by the deeds of the law. What's he talking about? He's talking about mere human works. You will not be justified by mere human works. You need a Savior. So the whole world, he, he condemns and indicts the whole world in the courtroom of God Almighty. And He shows you the universal guilt of all mankind. And shows you that everybody, Jew and Gentile, people without the Bible, people with the Bible, everybody needs a Savior because they have the same problem. And that is the sin nature inside. And now I will stop there. Amen. And I'll pick up next time, Lord willing, and explain to you, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest being witnessed by the law and the prophets. 
even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being freely justified, freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so on and so forth. Chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20. He indicts the whole world and the whole world stands guilty before God. But he says, Jesus, the gospel, is the answer to the problem of all men. Let's stand. Father God, we thank you today for the power of your gospel, the power of the gospel. It is the power of God and His salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We put our confidence and our trust in you, O Lord, tonight, Jesus, in you, not ourself, not our religion. In you. Thank you for cleansing us with your precious blood. Thank you, Father, for filling us with your spirit. We stand in your presence. We are in right relationship with you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. And everybody said in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.